We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Other teams have scored all postseason. They've answered right back. Cassianos deep into left field. It is a fair ball home run. Cassianos high fly ball way back. Goodbye. Two home runs for Nick Castellanos a night after he had two home runs. First time that's ever happened in Major League Baseball playoff history. The Phillies advance to the National League Championship Series for the second year in a row. They eliminate the Atlanta Braves, who were thought to be as good as any team we've seen in a long, long time in four games. And now three of the four teams that had first-round buys, the Dodgers, the Orioles, and the Braves, are all out. Not only are they all out, they combined – to win one game, and they lost nine against Arizona, against Texas, and against Philadelphia. Uh, the final four all set in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Uh, Rangers-Astros game one Sunday night, Phillies-Diamondbacks game one on Monday night. I know Tommy didn't agree with me yesterday, but I think they will go to a best of seven in this divisional round. Uh, to give that team that has to take the few days off and get out of the rhythm that they're in all year long of basically playing every day, um, I think they're going to give them more of a shot with a best of seven. Although Rob Manfred, the commissioner, said no changes uh, as of now based on these results. It is dramatic. It's, it's, it's exciting. You know, it's best of five, but in many ways it kind of feels like when a two or a three seed gets eliminated in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm excited the Phillies are still around. I want to watch more of Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos. Unbelievable. Four home runs in two games. The show today presented by Window Nation. Window Nation is our presenting sponsor. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Use my name, Kevin Sheehan. You'll get a free estimate and they'll take good care of you. Their fall sale right now includes... Buy two, get two free with no money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Jay Gruden coming up in the next segment of the show. He's with me every Friday during football season. I'll finish up the show in the last segment with the smell test. I've got eight picks uh, after the two last night, which split. Um, And I'll have a few thoughts on Maryland, Illinois. I think Maryland needs to beware of this game tomorrow in College Park against Illinois. The weather not supposed to be great here in the Mid-Atlantic this weekend. Actually, I think the weather in a lot of the Midwest and the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast not great this weekend. Last night, look, I had three screens working. I had the baseball game on, I had Kansas City-Denver on, and I had Houston against West Virginia. Two smell test uh, uh, picks last night. Houston plus the three against the Mountaineers. They gave up a fourth and ten with 20 seconds to go at the 50-yard line to fall behind 39-35. to It was about to be one of the worst beats of the year. But there was a 
an unsportsmanlike conduct for uh, over celebration, which meant that Houston got a big kickoff return. They completed a ball to West Virginia's 49 and then hit on a Hail Mary at the end of the game to win 41 to 39. Denver and Kansas City had a shot. It was 16 to 8, getting 10 and a half. Maybe some of you bought it to 11 and pushed. I didn't. One quick takeaway, two quick takeaways from that game. I don't understand how Travis Kelsey is always so wide open. I just don't understand why that guy is always wide open. Uh, It just makes sense to me that you would double him. You would bracket him, whether you're playing zone or zone match or man. I can't – it just seems like every week, you know, half of his catches or more than half are in a wide open field. He had over 100 yards of receptions in the first half. The other takeaway is this. Man, Russell Wilson was awful last night, and he had not been awful – the first part of this year, Denver's defense was the major culprit in their one and four start. Last night, he threw for 95 yards. 95. He looks scared. And man, does he look smaller than ever in the pocket. Russell Wilson's going to the Hall of Fame. I think he is, uh, based on you know an incredible career in Seattle. But man, he got to the Hall of Fame when he gets there off schedule. By extending plays, he's just not good in the pocket. And he looked panicked all night. He looked scared last night. He actually started running very late in the game. And it's, you know, pretty much the only time he's really gotten after it rushing the ball, except for the Washington game, if you recall. You know, had some big runs and big scrambles in that game. A couple of designed runs as well. Uh, he looks done. I don't know what Sean Payton's going to do um, out there. Uh, their defense played as well against Kansas City as any defense has played this year against Kansas City. I don't know how that happens. Um, it's the short week, I'm sure, to a certain degree. Um, but Denver, who was right there with Chicago uh, as the two worst defenses in the league, I mean, they held Kansas City to you know 19 points, one for five in the red zone. Overall, I mean, Kansas City had near 400 yards, but they only had 19 points because they were four for 13 on 13 on third down and one for five in the red zone. I mean, Denver turned it over three times in the game, and they actually were down eight. If they had gotten one more stop, they would have had the ball back with a chance. If Samaje Piran, by the way, didn't fumble the ball in the last possession, maybe they get in field goal range and we get a little 19 to 11 final. That would have been much better. All right. uh, Let's dial in here on Sunday, Atlanta and Washington. Remember last year's game, you know, you had the Falcons with Marcus Mariota. Uh, They were five and six. Washington was six and five. It was Thanksgiving weekend. It was cold. It was cloudy. And the game came down to that one, you know, Deron Payne deflection. Kendall Fuller picked it off and Washington survived. And that would be their last win until the meaningless season finale. That was a big win. It put them at 7-5. and five. They were very much right in the middle of the NFC playoff picture. They were the 6th seed. They weren't even the 7th seed. They were solidly in the postseason at that point in time. Um, but, you know, the following week came a tie against the Giants, and then you had a bye week and a loss to the Giants and a loss to the Niners and a loss to the Browns where your head coach didn't even know that he was eliminated at the end of that game, Uh, and then the meaningless season finale against the Cowboys. This is a big game Sunday for Washington. Big game. You know, the Chicago game, a lot of you felt like, you know, the season's over if they lose to the Bears. Like, I I think I said yesterday, the the, the 2-3 and felt like 2-7 and or 2-10 and or whatever. It really did feel like a devastating loss because of the fact that the Bears were winless and the nature in which they lost that game. Sunday, in many ways, is really like if this is going to be a season, a competitive season, some of you don't even want it, but if it's going to be a competitive season, you got to beat the Falcons Sunday, and it won't be easy. They're a a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, Atlanta's better than you think. Last week, I told you before the Chicago game, don't sleep on Chicago's offense. And 
I was right, at least for that night. Now, a lot of you might chalk it up to Washington's defense being awful, but no, Chicago had played well offensively the week before, and there was a lot of discussion about Chicago this year as a potential NFC wildcard contender anyway because of what people thought they might be on offense, and you saw some of that. So this week, I'm going to tell you that beware of Atlanta as a team, but really of Atlanta's defense. Atlanta's good defensively. I, I they're they're very you know identity driven on offense. They want to be a run first physical football team, so you know that going in. They're not as multi dimensional. They're not as versatile as some of the other teams Washington has faced, including the Bears. Although Desmond Ritter had his best game, but I was very impressed after watching Atlanta a little bit yesterday afternoon, their game last week against Houston and their game the week before that against Jacksonville. I was impressed with them defensively. Now, the numbers may not speak to it. They're 21st per the DVOA metric. Um, They're also next to last in takeaways and near the bottom of the list in sacks. But where they are very high on the list is third down defense. They're fifth in the league, seventh in the league in overall yards allowed. They're not making dynamic, explosive, game-changing plays defensively, but they are getting people off the field, and they've got players. And the guy to really keep an eye on is Jesse Bates, number three, their safety, who they got from Cincinnati in the offseason. They have other names that you're familiar with. Jeff Okuda's on that team. Calais Campbell's on that team. Grady Jarrett's always been a good player. Bud Dupree's on the team. Mike Hughes is on the team. Um, But, you know, the addition of Bates, the addition of Caden Ellis, they're a pretty well-coached and disciplined defensive team. So last week I was kind of on the beware of Chicago's offense. It's much better than you think. I would say just be aware that Atlanta's overall a better team than maybe many of you know, but defensively impressed. They held Detroit to 20 points total. I mean, that's the the high-flying Lions at this point. You know, they were really right there with Jacksonville and Wembley. It was the turnovers that killed them. Houston put up 37 a couple of weeks ago against Jacksonville and lost 21 to 19 last week against Atlanta. Atlanta's a well-coached team, both sides of the ball, physical both sides of the ball. Uh, so with that, let me get to Washington wins if and my prediction on the game on Sunday. So my keys to a win over Atlanta. Number one is they've got to stop the run. That's what Atlanta wants to do, even though Desmond Ritter had a big week last week throwing the football. They are a run-first team. It's who Arthur Smith is. It's why they drafted a running back in Bijan Robinson in the first round. It's why they drafted a guard in the second round, Bergeron, the kid from Syracuse, who we were talking about maybe for Washington heading into, uh, into the April draft. Um, Washington gave up a buck 78 on the ground to the Bears. I mean, all of their running backs ran it against them. The quarterback ran it against them. And when everybody got hurt, the fullback came in and ran it a little bit against them. Atlanta's going to be in 12 personnel a lot, all right? One back, two tight ends. But a lot of times they'll be in one back with a fullback and two tight ends or a fullback and one tight end. It's not unusual to see three tight ends out there. They want to run the football. I think the answer for Washington is we're going to see more five-man front than we've seen, more of that Cinco package. Uh, We'll talk talk to Jay Gruden and get his thoughts on, you know, what uh, he thinks of Atlanta and see if he's watched uh, a lot of Atlanta. But stopping the run with, you know, five-man front, whether that's two backers or one backer and three safeties, I don't know. But they've got to be in run-stopping mode. They did a good job against Buffalo you know, while the game was still competitive. They did a good job against Philadelphia stopping the run. They did not do a good job against Chicago. They didn't do a good job of stopping the run early, if you recall, against Denver uh, either. Um, 
there are a couple of concerns I, I clearly have about them defensively. Coverage is a bigger concern for me, but I think, you know, they haven't been consistent against the run. They've got to stop the run Sunday, which means also, by the way, they've got to tackle well everywhere. They've got to tackle well Sunday. They did not tackle well, you know, in that loss to, uh, to Chicago. In the loss to Philly, they didn't tackle well at times. Tyler Algier is one of the best yards after contact running backs in the league. He's the backup to B. John Robinson, who is really, really sick in space. I mean, he is so good. He's going to make people miss. He's going to make people look bad. You've got to have all 11 guys Sunday you know, involved in tackling these runners. Um, Secondly, you've got to protect the quarterback. We cannot continue to see Sam Howell get hit and get sacked. Now, I think they've done a better job the last two games, you know, with quick game, with sprint outs, with screens. And, you know, this is a, a good defense. It's not a defense that sacked a lot of people or turned people over. But, You've got to protect Sam Howell. Chicago was not a blitzing team before last Thursday night, and they came after Sam, especially in the second half with the kitchen sink. Who knows what Atlanta, uh, what uh, the Falcons will do. You've got to protect him. You've got to protect him like you have the last two games with good play calling, good protection when you do, when you do drop him back. Um, but you can't overcome the lost yardage from six, seven sacks on Sunday. If, you know, Chicago wasn't a t- Chicago had two sacks entering the game last week, and they got after Sam and sacked him a bunch. So can't take the sacks, got to protect the quarterback in this game. Uh, number three, Washington beats Atlanta. If they get off to a really fast start and get the lead, Atlanta's not a team I don't think they can come from behind. You know, and and you got to put this game on Desmond Ritter. I know he played well last week, but that's the choice that you make. Put it on Desmond Ritter. Um, so get a lead is important. Coverage will be important. Their, their receivers, you know, Pitts, London, Mac Hollins, they are big. All of, you know, all three of them, six four or bigger. They're tight end Jonu Smith, big. You know, you're not going to have Forbes probably for the same number of snaps. It'll be interesting to see what they do coverage-wise. Is St. Juice on the outside, or does he move to the slot to cover Pitts, who actually lines up as a tight end in the slot with, you know, others kind of lined up on the line of scrimmage. Um, But you've got to be better in coverage. You've got to communicate better. These are big receivers. Ritter will give them a chance. They're not explosive not yet, anyway. I thought London would be. Well, I, I didn't think London would. London was the big receiver in that draft. I thought that Pitts would be a lot more than he's been. But they've got players on this team. The question for them has been at quarterback. You know, and he had his best game last week, which means you're not going to see Taylor Heineke this week, I don't think, unless Ritter gets hurt. So stop the run, I think, is really important. Uh, protecting Sam Sam Howell, and he's got to protect himself. Get a lead against Atlanta. Um, Don't, you know, you could, the way Atlanta wins games is the, you know, back and forth one-score games. Get a double-digit lead. See if they can throw the ball to get back into it. I don't think they can. Coverage against big receivers will be a big deal. Um, Also, Corderell Patterson came back last week. Just remember, he's a guy that's killed teams. He is a jack of all trades. He had 50 some odd yards rushing and some you know return yards against Washington last year. He was back there returning kicks. Um, yeah, I always have loved him. Keep an eye on Corderell Patterson. All right, my final score prediction, Washington 21, Atlanta 19. I think they win Sunday in a very tight game. It's not like last week when I gave when I picked Washington to win by three, but I said I really feel you know sick about this game because I love Chicago plus the number and they could definitely lose the game. I actually feel good about Washington winning Sunday. It's not going to be easy. It's also one of those games if you want to go have a season, you know three three and three with a win over Atlanta that could come back and be huge at the end of the year because Atlanta's probably going to be in the mix. I think they're good enough to be in the mix all year long. All right, uh, Window Nation, 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Buy two, get two free. If you've been thinking about new windows, now is the time to do it. Uh, Your home will look better. You'll save big on your energy bills, and you're not going to pay anything until the year 2025. 
Buy two, get two free, no money down, no payments, no interest charged until the year 2025. I promise you that you can rely and trust Window Nation. Just give them a shot. Call them. Get a free estimate by mentioning my name. Shop it around if you want. There's nothing to lose. If you've been thinking about new windows, get them now before the cold weather comes. You will more than have a return on investment just with the energy savings alone on new windows, not to mention your home will look a lot better. 86690Nation, windownation.com. Tell them that I sent you. Jay Gruden, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fall is here, and if you're looking for that outdoor destination to watch football, hang out with friends, listen to music, look no further than the bullpen. Yeah, that bullpen right in the heart of Navy Yard, right next to Nats Park. Admission absolutely free. Of course, the bullpen's always been the spot for baseball fans, but this year they're bringing you all of the NFL and college football action you can handle on weekends. So get your guys together, wear your team colors, head on over to the bullpen. They've got games, they've got drinks, they've got the energy to make every moment unforgettable. Visit them today at thebullpendc.com to see their game schedule. Outdoors this time of year, watching football, hanging out with friends. You're looking for a spot, this is it. Thebullpendc.com to see their game schedule. Jay Gruden is with me, as he has been and will be every Friday during football season. Um, I'm assuming that you saw the story about Ron putting up the sign in the locker room that read, Do Your Job. You saw that, right? Yeah. Did you ever put up a sign or come up with a slogan in an effort to motivate or get your message across to your team? I think uh, sometimes in OTAs, uh, maybe the first day of training camp, maybe you come up with something that, uh, you know, they can kind of go by. I remember my brother did a pound the rock thing and we build block. I mean, there's a lot of different slogans you do. I don't remember each individual slogan, but yeah, sometimes you make a t-shirt and give them out, but you know, yeah. What the heck? Do they work? I mean, it's something to talk about. You know, it's uh, something that everybody can relate to. You're hoping, you know, do your job is, is a common one that, you know, Bill Belichick and a lot of people have used before. And it's, you know, basically making sure that everybody understands that 
do your job. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing, but do your job the best you can and everything else will work out. But, you know, go finger pointing. It's not about anybody else but yourself and doing the things correctly the way you're supposed to do them. How hard is it, you know, especially in a city that cares, and you coached here, and it's a city that cares. I mean, there are several of them, um, but this one, you know, is passionate about its football team. How hard is it to block out all of the noise um, that comes with, you know, 24-7 social media, you know, talk radio, everything for yourself and then for the players? Well, it's pro football, and it's what you signed up for. I promise you, every other market, if you're not doing well, they're going to be doing the same thing. I mean, you think they're happy in Carolina right now? Um, maybe not to the extent that it happens in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, but you're still going to get a lot of social media grumblings and people complaining and wanting your job and um, a lot of issues you got to deal with. But, you know, the whole thing about pro football, you got to be mentally tough as a coach and as a player. And if you can't handle it, then you're not in the right business. Uh, it's what to be expected. I grew up in the coach's family. My dad was a coach, and we used to handle all kinds of people at IU and Notre Dame and Tampa Bay Buccaneers growing up. I just That's just the way it is. That's the way I understand it to be. you got to win or else you're going to get people after you. Did it, did it ever get to you? No, I just, I just, it's just commonplace. I, just, I understand that I'm, we're such great. We grew up to be such great competitors that, if we lost, you didn't have. To, I didn't have to say have somebody. I was mad at myself enough where I didn't have to listen to anybody else tell me how dumb I was. I felt like I was an idiot already for losing myself. So, you know, you got to be hard on yourself when you lose. You got to be critical of yourself. You got to move on. Um, you got, can't listen to the outside noise and all that stuff. But you do have to take it personal. You do have to make sure you do things differently and try to get your team in the right position to win. And um, difficult at times, but just the way it is in pro football. Or you got to find another job. Do you think it's much harder for players today to handle the criticism than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago or when you played? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're active on social media. I mean, you can get you can get absorbed with all that information, all the people being critical of you. And um, it can be brutal. I mean, that's why I did, you know, I just started a Twitter uh, six months ago or whatever <laughs> it was, just because yeah. I, 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 I'm afraid I would like hunt people down and talk crap. I, I don't even read the comments on that thing. So uh, <laughs> it's just, it can be brutal. And if you're, um, and for these young kids who have been coddled their whole life, they've been the best in high school, they've been the best in college, they're drafted high. And now all of a sudden they come to a place and they don't have the, they, they don't succeed like they thought. And they're just getting hammered on social media. It can be hard on them. And, uh, you know, there, there should be, opportunities for these young kids to get some counseling and seek some help for some of this stuff because it is tough for a 21, 22-year-old kid to come to a situation and not do what he's expected to do and just get hammered all the time. And uh, Mentally, it can be tough on him, but the, the good ones overcome it and they'll persevere. At Coach underscore Jay Gruden on Twitter. Give him a follow. Um, former head coach of the Washington football team and OC of the Cincinnati Bengals slash Jacksonville Jaguars in your bio. Why didn't you put former head coach of the Washington Redskins? You weren't the head coach of my the Washington football team. I forgot to change it. Yeah. My son set up the account for me. He wanted me to get on social media a little bit. So he started it for me, and I haven't changed it yet. But I'll get it changed. My fault. You're smart, by the way, not to read the comments. And I, and I haven't even read your comments. I'm not suggesting that they're negative. But there are people just out there trying to get you to respond. I mean, it's it's really low rent across the board on social Some media. Are. It's unbelievable. Um, Some of these guys are ultra-talented with their comments. I mean, I mean, they can they can really get to your core. I mean, they they really get you. Oh yeah, well, and occasionally they're they're very funny too. Um, did you ever have a player that you coached in sort of the social media era, which really would have been more here, less in Cincinnati, that right. couldn't deal with it, and you really had to help him? Um. Not really. The, the main ones were the ones that uh, used it and talked about the team in a negative way or the coaches in a negative way. That's the ones that really got to me. You know, But I don't think anybody really had an issue or was really getting depressed or any of that. Um, yeah, the, the ones that I didn't like were the ones that used their platform to type something about other people or negatively about the team. Where do you think this team is right now after losing by 20 and then having that long of a layoff? 
You know, I, I don't know. I just uh, there's a couple things that bother me that would bother me if I was a coach, and, and I would start with the best unit, and that's the defensive line. You know, they have four first rounders on that defensive line, and they should be dominating the line of scrimmage, and they're not. And I don't know why. You know, so that, that's the first thing we got to probe into. We got to get our best players on our football team as a group. They have to dominate their position. They're not doing it right now. Uh, they're not helping out the linebackers. Obviously, the secondary is suffering because of that. Uh, but we got to hit the quarterback often. We got to stop the run. Period. I mean, that's what. I mean, there's four first rounders, right? Um, that's one thing. And then obviously, secondary is the, the techniques and some of the things they got to really look into that and give their corners some help. Uh, offensively, you know, we got to protect the quarterback better. It's, it's simple. Uh, Sam can't get sacked four or five times a game and expect to win. You can't have that many negative plays against a good pro football team and, and expect to win. He might throw for a lot of yards. That's great. Oh, all a cool. Hey, he threw for 280 yards. Yeah, he got sacked six times and you're down 27 to three in the first half. So that can't happen. Um, got to stay in games early. Can't turn the ball over and, um, and, and continue to play hard. So they're two and three right now and, and the season's not over. They've got a lot of football left, but I, number one, defensive line's got to play better. They're the best unit. Number two, we got to protect the quarterback better. And then number three, protect the football and, and, and play close games and, and continue to finish tackles, tackle better. My God. Is that it, would that have been the pitch from you say on Wednesday when everybody got back together and you began preparation for Atlanta? Would there have been a big get together in that big, um, you know, in that big auditorium where you would have addressed the whole team? Yeah, for sure. And you know, I don't like to single out certain people, but I think you can single out certain units maybe. And, and, and I think uh, the reason why I would go after the defensive line because I know Duran and. and Jonathan Allen and, and they're strong enough individuals where they could take a little criticism as long as you know and I think sometimes you have to get after some of the best players for you know, other players that are not quite that good to say damn he's going after defense line you better step it up too um, that's part of the reason because I know they're mentally tough and they're physically tough and they can handle some criticism and then you go from there uh, and you go about the tackling you go about the fundamentals you go about the practice schedule you make sure everybody's on board to finish the season in a strong way um, yeah, so that, that's the most important thing is how we're going to attack the rest of the season. We're going to make it about us. Do your job is a slogan, obviously, so that's a good way to start. Um, I remember uh, Gary Williams, uh, the Hall of Fame basketball coach at Maryland. Gary's told me many times before that when he, some of his best teams were teams in which his best player was a player he could get on in front of everybody, like Juan Dixon, who led them to the 2002 National Championship, Gravis Vasquez, he would he could get on them really hard, which meant that the rest of the team you know, knew if the best player was, was taking the wrath of the coach, well, they couldn't push back. That is important in, in a locker room, isn't it? That your best players yeah, can sure. take it. For sure. You know, you can't have your best player be a prima donna that uh, can't handle criticism. So that's very important that everybody gets treated equally in the locker room. You can't just yell at your player who's struggling. It's a free agent, college free agent, who's you know lucky to be there. You got to get after everybody equally, and that's important. I can remember the story about Bobby Knight when he was coaching the Olympics and Michael Jordan. They went him by thirty-five at half, and they, he came in there and tried to motivate the team. He jumped right on Michael Jordan. You know, it's, are you ever going to set a screen? You know, so yeah. <laughs> Motivation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he probably had somehow. he probably had twenty seven in the first half. He's screaming screaming at him <laughs> for setting his screen. Um, yeah. So what about though taking responsibility on yourself as the head coach? Like, doesn't Ron have to do some of that as well? Yeah, for sure. You know, you have to. That's ultimately your responsibility. The product you put on the field is is on you as a head coach. And, I'd like to think I took responsibility uh, for our shortcomings, whether it's uh, drafting players or losing games or what have you, coaching decisions, going for it on fourth down or what have you. But ultimately, it's the coach's responsibility. He's in charge of the draft. He's in charge of free agents. He's got no excuses whatsoever. He can't blame a GM. He can't blame the owner anymore. This is his product that he's putting out there, and he needs to take responsibility. Season's not over. They're only two and three. I mean, they, win, they beat Atlanta. They're back to 500. And they're right back in the playoff picture. Right. It uh, it did feel after a twenty point loss and being down twenty seven to three that they went from two and two to two and ten. It did feel that way. Yeah. Um. You know. The, you know the saying that he's lost the team. You know, fans say that. I don't know. Maybe you guys say it too. When you know, it usually refers to players um, who have kind of tuned out a coach. Is that a legitimate thing? Oh yeah, hundred percent. 
and that that happens more often than not. It's probably happened in probably 17 or 18 locker rooms right now. You know, I, you try your darndest not to lose the team, and I felt like I probably lost the team my last year. We were 0-5 and uh, whatever. That's probably why I got fired. But uh, maybe, I don't know. But, yeah, I think sometimes your your message can get stale, and if you're not producing, people have to have somebody to blame. And, unfortunately, it is the head coach. That's just the way it is. That's the business that we're in. And the do your job slogan is a, a, a panic attack probably type slogan. I don't think he's really blaming the players with that slogan. I think he's just trying to get across the message, quit worrying about other people, and, and just do your job. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, by the way, in, in sort of talking about, you know, coaches and the accountability that they have to have in the locker room as well, uh, just to bring up another Hall of Fame college basketball coach, because he used to work, you know, at the station, Coach Thompson, John Thompson, um, used to say, used to say, if coaches start taking the blame too much, the owner will start to believe him. Uh, and that's a problem, too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, are they throwing the ball too much? Well, last week didn't count because they're down 27 to 3 at the half. They had to. Um, but yeah, I think anytime you look at the stat line, if you see Sam Howell with more than 35, I think it's uh, that's probably going to lose. They need to get that down. They need to get uh, Brian Robinson more involved. And obviously, to try to eat up some clock, keep their defense fresh. But when they get behind like that, you have no choice. To get back in the game, you got to throw it. You got to get some chunk plays. And, and that wasn't the case. Uh, that was the case in Chicago. Yeah, I'm not even really referring to, you know, being down and having to throw the ball. I think most people understand that. I'm just saying in general, uh do they need do, are they are, are they throwing the ball too much with, you know, the game still competitive? I I don't know. I think there's extensions of the running game that are passes like bubble screens and and RPOs and things of that nature that teams have to do. I don't know if Washington's good enough up front with their tight end included to just be able to pound and ground, ground and pound teams to death. I just don't think, I think if you start trying to run the ball on first and second down, you're stuck in third and eight, that makes it worse for Sam Howell than giving them a chance to do quick game or bubble screens on first down. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately I agree that they do need to get Brian more involved. He's running the ball very hard, uh, very effectively. And I think they need to try to see how much he can handle as far as the game is concerned. And, if he can move the chains, we're on the ball. But um, they do need to, I think, to open up the run, they need to throw here. Did you ever worry about run-pass balance in competitive games? I'm not talking about the games that get sideways and you end up with 50-plus attempts because you're behind. You know, Belichick, like some of these New England teams in recent years with Brady, you know, it seemed as if they would do whatever it took based on the opponent to move the football and score. Sometimes that was heavy run to pass. Sometimes that was heavy pass to run. How did you view it? Did you ever get caught up in we got to be balanced? A little bit because, you know, I had a boss that would put something on my desk after every game with the running stats of everybody in our division. And the team that ran the ball the best usually won the game. And that's usually the case because if you have a lead, you run the ball more. But, um, yeah, so I had to be aware of that. But not, I agree with the other side, the Belichick side. you got to do what you have to do to win the game. And sometimes throwing the ball is a lot easier than running the ball between the tackles. Some defensive linemen had two huge interior defensive linemen, and it was hard to get in there. <laughs> So you needed to throw the ball, get the ball out on the edge, get the ball out on perimeter somehow. Um, so yeah, different defenses dictated the way you should attack offensively. Now, sometimes your identity offensively shouldn't you shouldn't worry about who they have on defense. This is what we're going to do. But sometimes it's very difficult to do that. You need to change it up. You know, you just can't throw that. Throw it out there that, that your boss put running stats from the other teams in the division on your desk. Who was that, yeah. Dan or Bruce? I'm sure it was Bruce. Bruce was big into that stuff, and you know, and, and Dan. You know, Dan when when Dan grew up as a Redskins fan, you know, he was obviously a Joe Gibbs, loved Joe Gibbs and, and the Redskins, and they were very effective at running those counter OTs and running the ball, John Riggins and all that stuff. So that's what he knew, and it's just very hard to execute that plan on a week to week basis in the NFL. Yeah, in today's NFL. So how would you handle that? I would, you know, throw the thing in the garbage and say, yeah, I, I understand. I'm trying my best, you know. But ultimately, I figure out what's best for our football team today at this moment in time and how to attack the Dallas Cowboys or whoever we're getting ready to play. 
But did you have to pitch them? Was that part of the job to continue to pitch, you know, Bruce and or Dan on what you were doing well, and why you were doing? And, you know, was that well, an issue? Is when, you have a, when you have a president and an owner that think they're smarter than you and when it comes to football, that's a problem, you know. So you're never going to be right. They always know more than you. I mean, Bruce has been around football for a long time. He's got a lot of history to back up his thoughts and why he believes what he believes, Al Davis and all that stuff. And Dan thinks he knows, he thinks he invented the game. So that was the issue. Um, so we had to deal with that. I had to take in all the criticism and all their advice and make do with it and then try to figure out ways to get it done on my side of the deal. Um, so fun. Yeah, well, it's it's very, it's very much like um, – it's like a CEO who has to spend more time, uh, you know, uh, placating the shareholders than running the company. Um, and I'm just wondering if it ever got exhausting for you. It, it wore on me at the end, at the very end. I think the, uh, you know, once training camp hit my last year, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't give my coaches another year on their contract like I do every year. Um, and I think that was kind of like everything just started spiraling from there. All right. um, I had champ dead man walking in the hallway. Dead man walking. <laughs> was no one was actually saying that, <laughs> but you but you felt it. I See, was, I was I was thinking that in my head. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm you know people. You have a, you have a great sense of humor, and did you deal with it in sort of a sense of with with your sense of humor? Did you laugh at it, or was it just walking you know, on? Right, it's not funny because there's so many coaches that rely on this. Right. You know, I was fortunate to get a pretty good contract, but these coaches are you know they're coaching for their life and you know feeding their families and all that. I mean, it wasn't that bad. They're not like they're gonna starve, but you know nobody wants to move and get fired and have to move every year as a coach. You like to have some stability, and we just didn't have any. Um, right. He never, he never will in pro football. So he shouldn't coach if you look for stability. Yeah, you think Belichick's got stability right now? Yeah, no, no. But I, I mean, mean, I'm being I'm serious sure. about what what his position right now with with Kraft. What do you do? You think this I is think it he for can Belichick? Do whatever he wants. I, I mean, he's seventy plus years old. I, I don't know why he's putting himself through this anyway. I mean, I mean, go enjoy yourself. Go on a boat. Go fishing. Go play some golf. I mean, why put yourself through this and watch Mac Jones and? Bill O'Brien call a game and has scored three points in two games. I mean, this is get up at four o'clock in the morning, and get your practice schedule, your walk through, and, and make sure everybody's on time. And oh God, poor guy. It's different when you have like Tom Brady running a show on offense and all that stuff. This is this is not a job for I don't know. He, I, I give him credit for fighting through this thing and sticking through it. I like to see what happens next year. I just I just can't imagine doing it at seventy years old. Yeah, but I bet you miss the competition. I miss the competition. I miss the camaraderie of the players and some of the coaches, you know. But, you know, there's so much of, you know, it's just so much time, you know, the walkthroughs and all that, the, the preparation and drawing up the cards. It's uh, it's kind of a grind. It wears you out. I do miss the competition and I do miss the players. Yeah, I think I asked you once before because I remember specifically the way you answered it. I said, how much more fun was it for you at times being an offensive coordinator where you only had, you know, you didn't have to worry about a lot of that stuff. And, and you, you said it's just, it's just a lot easier, a lot easier. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, I had a good, I had a good, uh, I had a defensive head coach too. Marvin Lewis, a great head coach for an offensive coordinator because he would sit in some of the meetings, but he, you know, he didn't really know a whole lot about offense or, you know, he knew run the ball or throw the ball or go for it on fourth down, but you know, some right. of the other details he didn't really know that much. So it was, it was great. He was a great coach to work for. Hey, what do you think of Jack Del Rio as a defensive mind in the NFL? You coached against him. Um, you know, right now fans are getting on him. They they want you know heads to roll. What do you think and or what have you thought of Jack Del Rio? Well, I just feel like he's, he's simple Jack. You know, he's uh, he doesn't do a whole lot defensively. Um, they're sound. They should be sound in what they do. They play limited coverages, limited fronts, um, but they, you know, they expect their players to be in the right place. There's a lot of coordinators like that. But, you know, don't don't do a whole lot of exotic blitzes. You know, they play the coverages that they're going to play, and they just hope they're better than you. And if they're not better than you, then they give up gashes because teams have a pretty good idea how to attack their defenses. All right, uh, one more um, about them before I get to Atlanta. Uh, the trade deadline's October 31st. Would you consider they have a lot of cap room? I think they've got the fifth most cap room projected right now for 2024. 
Montez Sweat and Chase Young are right now not under contract for 2024. What would you be thinking as it relates to both of those players? Well, I just hate to think that you lose a player and not maximize your return. So if you can maximize your return right now, knowing that you are unlikely to sign one or both of them, you got to get something for them. I just but, you know, it goes back to the Kirk Cousins and even Trent Williams. I mean, we had two elite players, and we got nothing for them, basically. So if you can get something for them now, you got to do it because, you know, the end of the year, they're going to be gone. So you got to maximize your return. You just don't want to get a supplemental free agent or a draft pick in the third round because you lose a free agent. You got to get something for them. So if, there's, if, if the plan is to keep one of them right now, what would be your lean in terms of who you'd want to keep and, and sign for next year. Sweat. It's not even close. I, I'd keep sweat. It's not even close to me. And that's just me watching. From, I don't know what the guys are like in the locker room. I know sweat because I had it for a little while. I don't know Chase Young at all, but just from what I see on tape and the production, um, I would take sweat. He's fast. He can run. He's been productive. The other guy's been injured a little bit, um, a little bit overhyped. He hasn't, his play hasn't matched where it should be with his athletic ability and his size. He doesn't dominate the game like a guy with that body type. The way he looks, his athletic ability should, in my opinion, and I don't know why. I mean, don't you think in watching him the last couple of weeks in particular that we're starting to see a little bit more of what we saw his rookie year with Chase? It's getting better, and maybe his knee has something to do with it, and he's getting back into shape and all that stuff, but I just... And maybe they do need to wait and let the season play out and see how his knee strength is and make the right decision because athletically and talent-wise, there's no question that Chase Young should be better than Sweat, right? But when you look at the film, Sweat's better than Chase Young, and I just don't know why. So maybe give Chase Young another, you know, let let him finish out the year because this is a very important decision. Defensive ends don't grow on trees. You don't want to lose good pass rushers. Maybe there's a way to get them both on your team. Maybe get rid of Painter Allen and try to open up, or whatever you got to do. But I would really take my time and make sure I'm making the right decision with these defensive ends because you look at Bosa's in the league and you look at Miles Garrett and you look at those guys who could dominate a game. If you can get one of those guys on your team, it makes it a heck of a lot easier for your defensive staff to coach. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the tackles because the other day we we did this on radio and we did a call segment. I'm sure you're, you're, you'd be thrilled to hear all of the calls. Um, but I, I said maybe there's another solution here, and maybe the solution is even though he's one of your team leaders and he's an excellent player, but his contract runs out after 2025, maybe you deal John Allen and you pay both of them because you just paid yeah. Payne. It'd be hard to get rid of Payne now. And, and I guess my question yeah, to you, and you kind of already answered it, is but if, you, if you're not going to pay four number one draft choices contract extensions and you, only, and you only get to pick one to move on from, you sort of implied there that it would be a tackle more than it would be an end. Yes. That would be my idea. You're a 4-3 team, and you're going to be in uh, you know, basically nickel personnel a lot. And those defensive ends are critical. Both of them can run, and both of them are athletic. So that's important. I think if you keep one of your best pass-rushing defensive tackles, which is either paying around whoever you like better, then you can replace that position a lot easier than you can a pass-rushing defensive end. The defensive ends, they, they, they're hard to find. Defensive tackles that can take on double teams and, and stop the run, those are easier to find to me than pass-rushing defensive ends. That's why you keep the best pass-rushing three technique, keep him in the building, and then move on from the other one. All right. Uh, Sunday, they're two-and-a-half-point underdogs right now um, at Atlanta. Uh, have you taken a look at Atlanta? What, what, what's the game plan to, to beat the Falcons Sunday? I have watched Atlanta. Atlanta's an interesting team. They, they're, they're, they're a two-tight-end team, so it's going to force, obviously, uh, Washington to be a more base personnel, which whether they go five defensive linemen and, and two linebackers or four defensive linemen and three linebackers, that'll be – what they do. I just don't know if Washington has three good linebackers to line up. I would probably think they're going to go five defensive linemen and two linebackers. I don't know. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, they're going to try to run the ball. They have two excellent backs, and obviously Dustin Ritter can run. He's struggling a little bit throwing the ball, but they do have receivers they can throw to. You know, Drake London is probably ready to roll after watching the tape the last two weeks, right, to go after the corner. So he's probably excited as hell to play. 
But they're a good football team, and defensively they're playing a lot better than people think. So I, I, right now I would err on the side of taking Atlanta just because of their ability to run the ball and be more balanced. And I think pass rush-wise, I think Atlanta can get after the quarterback. Did you know Arthur Smith? You know, he was here briefly um, in the organization before you got here, but did you get to know him at all? I did not. You know, his dad, uh, yeah. obviously Fred, um, I got to know him a little bit. He, you know, wasn't my – he wasn't a fan of mine for whatever reason. But anyway, uh, yeah, Arthur's a good coach, man. I really respect him as far as his ability to call plays, especially at Tennessee. And then he comes here. And I like that he's trying to establish an identity. And, and as a head coach, you have to, if you want to be able to run the ball, you get you draft a big back. They draft Bijan. They go out and get a couple blocking tight ends. The Jonas Smooth, they take him from uh, Tennessee. They got Jake Matthews. They have good offensive linemen. They're big and physical. They got the... And, and that's what they're trying to do. So now you can run the ball, you can run your bootlegs and your play actions, and that's who they are. And if they get down and they have to throw it, they're not going to come back. You know, but they can they can bludgeon you into the ground. They can play physical football, and if they stay close in the fourth quarter, they'll have a chance to win a lot of games. So you like Atlanta? I do like Atlanta. I do like Atlanta. I think uh, I think Washington. You know, they got to start fast. You know, right now when you're on a three-game losing streak and you're reading all the doubters and all the haters, you're going to come out and you're going to be excited to play and shut everybody up. But if you get hit in the mouth early, like Chicago hit them in the mouth early, I don't know if they can. I don't know if they'll be able to bounce back. You know, that was a pretty brutal beating in the first half they took. And if anything like that happens in the first half against Atlanta, it'll, it'll be a wrap. I don't know if Atlanta has the firepower to do that. I didn't think Chicago did either, but um, but I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll go down the wire, field goal for one of the other teams. Let's get to just the rest of the NFL card real quickly, and then I'll let you run. Uh, what do you make of the Cowboys right now after getting throttled uh, by the 49ers? Uh, they've got the Chargers on Monday night, but just give me your thoughts real quickly on Dallas. Well, I think they're they're looking for an identity as well as a lot of teams are. You know, the, the Mike McCarthy gets rid of Kellen Moore because he wants to run the ball more, and he's run the ball less than Kellen Moore did. So it makes no sense. And then he's trying to say that we're the Texas, we're not a West Coast team, we're a Texas Coast team. Nobody knows what the hell that is. That, that, that doesn't mean anything. They're not, they're not a West Coast team. Their spacing isn't very good offensively. They're not running the ball effectively. Pollard is really not a 20-plus carry guy anyway. Pollard's more of a 10-plus carry guy. They need to have another back, whether it's Rock, whoever that guy's name is, to take the load off of them. Yeah. They need a physical back in there to go along with Pollard. Um, yeah, so... They got Ceedee Lamb. They don't give him the ball very much. They go out and get Cooks. They never throw the ball to him. So they they gotta figure out what the hell they are, who they are, in order for them to be good. What about Dak? Well, Dak right now is is struggling in known passing situations, which is surprising. He's been in the league for a long time, and he's not using his legs like he did early in his career. You know, this is a big physical quarterback that can really run uh, coming out of Mississippi State, and now he's he's put himself in the pocket as a pocket passer like he's Tom Brady or whatever. He's got to be able to run a little bit more. Um, and he's struggling, like I said. I don't know if it's a system or what, but he should be playing a lot better. He's underachieving in a big way through five games, in my opinion. We're only five weeks into the season, but is it pretty clear to you that the 49ers are the best team in the league? I don't think it's close right now. And Philadelphia will give them a little bit of a run. Obviously, Kansas City with Mahomes and Miami with their speed. Um, I think you could have a Final Four right now and play it out. Those are the four best teams in the league by far, in my opinion. But San Francisco, top to bottom, with the way Brock Purdy's playing and distributing the ball, yeah, they're the best team. You know, Nobody really could predict that Brock Purdy as a, the last pick in the draft would be as good as he is, as accurate, as anticipation, as toughness, his ability to move in the pocket. Um, for a young quarterback to do that is very, very impressive. And Debo and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Trent Williams on offense, and then you got an elite pass rusher, an elite linebacker, an elite safety on defense. And yeah, they're by far the best team. They have no weaknesses. Um, you know, oh, I forgot Chris and McCaffrey, too. Yeah, McCaffrey, too. Uh, the, four, the 49ers and Eagles play this year, and the Chiefs and the Dolphins play. They actually play that game in Germany um, in early uh, November. Um, so uh, that's your final four. I'm curious as to what you think of Detroit right now. Do you think they're the third best team in the NFC? Yeah, I do. I think um, Jared Goff is playing pretty good. There's not a lot of really good quarterbacks in the NFC right now. You look at them, I think obviously it's Hurts, and then you get you get, you get some other ones. Goff is right up there. Um, Geno Smith is playing a lot better. Obviously, Matthew Stafford is a good quarterback, and Purdy. Um, but Geno, I mean, uh, Jared Goff is playing very good. He is a great game manager. He's accurate. He's getting the ball to the right people. 
Um, once they get their guys healthy back on offense, they're going to be seem to be wrecked with. And Aaron Glenn's done a great job of that defense. That's the weakness that we thought they're they're, they're going to have at Detroit. They weren't going to be able to stop anybody. They had one pass rusher, but they're playing great defensively, and that's the biggest surprise, and that's what makes them a contender. All right, uh, let's finish up with give me your lock of the week in the NFL. My lock of the week. Who's Carolina play? <laughs> they play Miami. They're getting thir- right now. They're getting thirteen and a half. Wow. Um, yeah, I'll take Miami again. You take Miami again, laying the thirteen and a half. That was your pick last week as well. I was on the Giants. You know, they had a they had a chance late to get the backdoor cover. Um, with Tyrod Taylor. Well, the Bills is an easy one, too. The Bills, the, the Giants' entire team is hurt right now. And you, the Bills are, what, 12 or 13? They're 14 and a half now and climbing, yeah. <laughs> and climbing. <laughs> yeah, it's climbing. <laughs> yeah, they should be. You watch the Giants play, and bless their heart, man, they, they just don't have any, they don't have anything on offense right now. It's a struggle. Daniel Jones gets high load in the pocket. I mean, he gets hit from the backside, the front side, the low side, high side, and and you don't get any separation at receiver. It's, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to be a Giant fan. Tough to be a play caller at New York Giants Stadium. Uh, you, you know, in mentioning him, I think the way you just described it, I think you like Daniel Jones. You've said that before. I mean, in watching the Giants, to me, it's like he doesn't have a chance. Like, just doesn't have a, a shot. They've got no – their best players have been out. And it's a jailbreak on every single snap, running play or passing play. Well, he missed a couple throws in the game. Bless his heart. He had he actually had a clean pocket. I'm like, damn, that's really uncharacteristic. But then every other pass, or somebody does ankles, or somebody on his back. I mean, it is just it's that wears on you as a quarterback when you're getting hit every play. That's what worries me about Sam Howell a little bit. Taking all these sacks, he start. I don't want the quarterback to get gun shy and think he's going to get hit on every play. We got to have some clean pockets. You got to protect them. Whether it's three-step, get him outside the pocket, let him set his feet and throw. But that's not happening in New York, and that doesn't happen very often here. No. Um, all right. Great job. Uh, appreciate it. I'll talk to you next week. All right, brother. But, by the way, we, we, did we decide which game is your lock? Is it the Bills or the Dolphins? You love these big favorites. Which one are you playing? Well, I mean, the big, they're big favorites for a reason. They're the better team. Well, I understand. I'm taking the Dolphins. Okay, so the Dolphins. Can... The Carolina can't. They can't stop Miami, and, and Miami can stop Carolina. So why wouldn't you lay 13? My, Miami minus the 13 and a half. All right, I'll talk to you next week. All right. <laughs> Take All right, when we come back, smell test to finish up the show and a thought or two on Maryland hosting Illinois tomorrow to try to get to six and one on the season. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell test. test. Smell test brought to you by my good friends at MyBookie. Guys, I think this is the final week of this incredible offer, offering a 110% cash deposit bonus on your initial deposit. $50 minimum, $1,000 max. If you put in $1,000, you're going to have $2,100 in your account. Uh, This is an unheard of offer. It's just available to the listeners of this podcast. You have to use my promo code. Uh, It's Kevin DC after going to mybookie.ag. They're going to more than double your money before you even place a bet uh, with mybookie. Mybookie.ag, promo code Kevin DC. I've mentioned this ad nauseum many times in the past. If you're doing this the right way and you only have one site, Uh, You should go to my bookie, sign up, take the free cash, and have a place where you can get a better point spread on occasion, a better price on occasion. It adds up. MyBookie.ag, promo code KevinDC for an incredible cash deposit bonus on your initial deposit. All right. uh, I was on radio earlier doing the smell test, and 
I gave out Utah State tonight plus the four against Fresno. And then I looked down at my phone and I had one of my um, offshore contacts texting me saying, I know you usually do the smell test now, but check out the Utah State line. It had gone from four to six in like four minutes. So I took Utah State out of the smell test. I might play them tonight. I just needed more research, uh, and I haven't had the time to do it. So take Utah State out uh, if you heard it on radio earlier today. I took it out on radio as well. Um, but it was just funny how that the, the timing of that was uh, as I was giving Utah State out. Uh, I'm glad I looked at my phone. Anyway, 30-30-2 uh, overall so far. 500's not good enough. Uh, Jason knows that. He texts me, uh, or tweets me, excuse me, every year to say, you do know that 500, I don't win money on your picks. Yes, Jason, I'm very aware of that. I understand how it works. I've been doing this for a while. Um, gotta do my, I gotta do my job better. No doubt. I've gotta be much better at my job. I gotta hit it 52.3% or 52.4%, whatever it is to get you guys into a winning percentage. So do my job. Uh, that's what I'm focused on. I've got, in addition to the two picks last night, which split Houston plus the three with the Hail Mary to get the cover Denver plus the 10 and a half losing by a half point. So I am officially right at 500 still at 30, 30 and two on the season. All right, let's start tomorrow. Wisconsin's laying 10 to Iowa. Big number, Publics playing Iowa. Give me the Badgers at home, laying the 10. Uh, in the ACC, two games tomorrow that I like. One involving Miami. Remember how they lost last week by not taking a knee? They're getting three and a half in Chapel Hill against Carolina. North Carolina is the public play. Um, there's sharp money on Miami. That line opened at four, four and a half. It's down to three and a half. I'll take the Canes plus the three and a half. Staying in the ACC, Duke with Riley Leonard or without, um, big question mark there. I just like NC State tomorrow. Uh, I actually think they're going to start playing some pretty good football. They're getting three and a half in Durham. The public likes Duke. I think Riley Leonard will play. I like the Wolfpack tomorrow to win outright, uh, but take them plus three and a half in the smell test. Kentucky got slaughtered last week um, in their uh, head-to-head matchup with Georgia. I had Georgia in the smell test last week. Uh, Missouri played one of the most entertaining games of the year. They lost 49-39 at home against LSU for their first loss of the year, but Missouri can really move the football. They're catching a short number. Uh, in Lexington. It's two and a half. The public likes Kentucky by the half point. Take Missouri plus the three. UCLA was in the smell test last week. Had them against Washington State. They won by eight. They're getting three and a half Saturday night, tomorrow night uh, against Oregon State. UCLA is nasty defensively. Really good. That line is short. Public pounding Oregon State. I'll take UCLA. Sunday, just three plays. One of them you're going to absolutely hate. The Panthers plus buying the half point, 14 at Miami. I did it to you last week with the Giants. I'm doing it to you again this week with the Panthers. If you decide not to play the game, I completely understand. Just don't play Miami. Every bookmaker in the world is going to need Carolina to cover in this game. I'll take them. It's a system pick, if you will. By the half point, take the Panthers plus 14. Uh, I like the Seahawks plus the three buying the half point at Cincinnati. You know, one week uh, of very impressive Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase play last week in, in Scottsdale. Not Scottsdale, in Glendale, excuse me. Got the public back on the Bengals there at home, laying the short number against, I think, a very good Seattle team. I'll take the Seahawks plus the three. And then Detroit's laying three at Tampa uh, in one of the late windows Sunday afternoon. I'll take Tampa plus the three. Uh, John Q. Public loves Detroit right now. Good reason to love them, for sure. Uh, But they think three is way too few. Uh, So I'll take Tampa. Recapping, um, after last night splitting the two games, Wisconsin minus 10, Miami plus 3.5, NC State plus 3.5, Missouri plus 3, UCLA plus 3.5, Seattle plus 3, the Panthers plus 14, and the Bucks plus 3. There is your smell test for the week. One quick note about Maryland at Illinois. Maryland was almost on the wrong side of the smell test this week. 
they are getting fourteen. They're laying fourteen. Excuse me against the Illini. You know, the Terps played so well last week at Ohio State. The final score, as we talked about earlier in the week, was not indicative of how well they played. Um, They just committed too many errors, too many mistakes. You know, the fourth and one miss in the early portion of the game, the end of first half taking points off the board by letting the clock run out with a check down underneath, which was just inexplicable. They had a first and goal inside the Ohio State five, came away with three, threw a pick six, threw another pick in a 17-17 game. Uh, you can't, you know, you can't self-inflict, and that's what Leah did um, in that game. He made all the big plays that kept him in it, but made a lot of bad plays. I, I think that this week is a bit of a trap game for Maryland. Illinois is pretty good defensively. Last week they were anyway. Uh, they they're they're a disappointment this year. Don't get me wrong. Brett Bielma is a hell of a coach. I thought this had a chance to be a big year for Illinois in the Big Ten West. Uh, and they are in dead last place, 0-3, overall. Their only two wins are over Toledo and FAU. Um, they lost to Penn State. They lost to Kansas. I mean, they had some tough games early on. Now, you know, after getting blown out by Purdue, they lost at home last week and only scored seven points against Nebraska. Why is Maryland only laying 14? Uh, the Terps, maybe with a little bit of a letdown after last week. They didn't win the game, but it's kind of like what Washington had coming off the loss at Philadelphia where they really felt good about themselves. Be careful, Terps, tomorrow. They should win the game. Would not surprise me if it's a little bit closer. Plus, weather could be a factor tomorrow. Rainy day tomorrow, all day, pretty much everywhere in this region. So, you know, look out with, you know, the handling of the football. Uh, Maryland's been great at taking the ball away from teams. Uh, last week, uh, they gave it away a couple of times, and it really hurt. But hopefully Maryland can get this win, get to 3-1 and one in the Big Ten, 6-1, and one, which would make them bowl el- eligible again. Um, they're going to get there, uh, and I think they'll get there tomorrow. But I think it'll be a closer game than most people think. Uh, will I bet at Illinois? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, but I hate doing that. If it's not in a smell test, I'm just rooting for uh, the Terps to win by 50. That would be nice. I'd like to see them in the rankings, if possible, by the time they get to their matchup um, uh, with Penn State uh, in about three weeks, it is. I think it's November 4th. They've got Northwestern after a bye week and then Penn State. So, yeah, three weeks. All right, that is it for the show. Back on Monday.